Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings, salutations from over in the big old USFA. Welcome to Outside the Sheds. I'm your host, Corey Jackson. I'm not, you know, some of the old Marines once say that they are fueled on hate and caffeine. I may be fueled on caffeine right now. There's no hate in my heart because, ladies and gentlemen, it is the weekend. It is grand final weekend. No matter if you're an AFL, NRL, it doesn't matter which code you're rooting for. It's it's time. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. It's time! Okay, that's for all of my uh, UFC honks out there that might be into a little bit of the fisty cuffs. We've got a big one this weekend there between Habib and Justin Gaethje, but that's later. What we're here for, and what we're here for week in and week out, in Outside the Sheds, Shedheads, you know what this is. It is for Rugby League, Aussie Rules Football, let's get it on. And ladies and gentlemen, we're about ready to get it on. Shedheads, it is Grand Final Weekend. And in, 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 in a day, in a few hours, we are going to be kicking it off at the GABA. And that's when our weekend begins. But you know me. I'm not giving you the dessert until you eat your main course, your entree, your salad, a little bit of green beans. I, you know, I don't know what you guys, you pick your own vegetable, but you're eating a vegetable. Because, I, you know, I know you might hate to hear me say this, and this is, I'm right. Usually, 93% of the time. I think, let me check the figure. You're at 94.2. Shedheads, I hope that I've paid for your mortgage over these last three weeks. I hope that that the missus or the mister are going to get an incredible Christmas gift. Because Shedheads, your Shed Adamus went 3-1 and one last week. And I know that you guys are saying, God, he's brilliant. But let's stop there. Because I'm human. I bleed. People close to me will say that I bleed and I have flaws. But by God, I have very few flaws when it comes to picking games, don't I? Because we nailed them this weekend. And I will tell you, if if Adam Reynolds' foot is not on the line for that 40-20 that gets called back, or doesn't get called back, but the ball is given over to the Penrith Panthers, I'm saying I'm going four for four because the momentum was totally in the Rabbitohs' favor. We're not going into this right yet. You know me. We still have to finish the green beans. We're talking about my picks. And besides that foot, and by God, what is that Adam Reynolds' foot? A size two? I'm saying the guy is, you know, he's not the biggest player in the league. But come on, why couldn't it have just been a one and a half? Because it's a 40-20. And I think everything changes there. But we're not going to get into that yet. And I'm not going to pat myself on the back too hard right yet. I'm, You know, we'll get into that a little bit more because I may need to massage myself because that weight is so heavy. But we did. We picked three of the four matches this weekend. And before we go forward and talk about, you know, the dessert, the grand finals that we're going to go into and all the other fun things that come with outside the sheds, 
We're going to get into these preliminary finals that went down and just kind of discuss what happened. Um, I will tell you this right now. Each one of the codes had a really good and exciting preliminary final and then kind of a dud. And I don't want to say a dud in the fact that there wasn't some great play, but they were, you know, the teams were a little bit overmatched when it came to the crunch. But let's start off up at Suncorp Stadium, which, let's be honest, Brisby, you were about ready to, you're, you know, Queensland, Brisby, you guys are the center of the AFL-NRL universe a little bit um, for this, this last two weeks and going into this weekend with the grand final being in the GABA. But it started off at Suncorp on Friday with the Storm and the Raiders. You had a Raiders team, a Green Machine team, that were flying high, that had won their first two matches. They looked like that they might be able to go one or two steps farther than last season. And the only thing that stood between them and a return to the grand final was everybody's favorite team. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh like that because I know the Melbourne Stormer are a very polarizing team. From Cameron Smith to Cameron Munster's mustache to Josh Adokar and his preseason hangouts with Luttrell. They're a polarizing team. But just because you're a polarizing team doesn't mean you're not a damn fine club. And besides Bellyache probably eating an entire bottle of antacids before each match, they're a fun team to watch and they do it. Some people might say not the right way because of the wrestling and the tackle. But when they're on top, the Melbourne Swarm are maybe the most electrifying team to watch in the NRL. And the sad and the scary, depending on which side of that, that compass you want to look at, is they've been doing it for years. And that's what the can- that's what the Raiders were going to have to go through. They were going to have to go through a rested Melbourne Storm team in pretty much their backyard because if you look at their win-loss record, they are pretty much unbeatable up in Queensland, especially in Brisbane. And unfortunately for the Green Machine, I don't know, was it their legs being tired from not getting the week off? But they ran into a buzzsaw. They ran into a focused Melbourne Storm team. And it showed from the beginning, from the opening whistle. The Storm put on a classic. So much so a classic that before you blinked, they were up 24 to nothing. And I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit because there was a lot of incredible tries. And I will tell you, I may not have seen a team start faster in a preliminary final and put their stamp down on who the hell they thought they were and what they were going to do faster than what the Melbourne Storm did. But from Ryan Pappenhausen's Andre Agassi 1987 flow up top, mullet, whatever you want to call it, I call it just Shogun greatness, to Jerome Hughes playing maybe his best match of the season, and then the old general, Cameron Smith, they were on firing on all cylinders. And you don't go up 24 to nothing and make a Ricky, a, a sticky team look 
like they were outmatched, outgunned, and and were at a loss of what to do uh, more than what the Melbourne Storm did. I'm saying that was, I didn't see that coming. And I know I picked him. Shed heads, I, well, well, wait a second, that's another pat on the back again. I know I picked him, but I did not see the Storm going out and dominating from the opening whistle the way they did. So much so that it, they went in a half, 24-6, to six, and it wasn't even that close. You could see the Raiders were a beaten club, but they still have Sticky's, his spirit. And I knew that when Ricky got them in the, in the sheds, and talk to them that they were going to come out and fight. And it did feel that if they could have scored the first try of the second half, that they really might have been able to, I don't want to say they were ever going to come back and, and beat the Storm, but they could have made the second half a little bit more exciting. And they just just couldn't do it. I'm, I'm just saying everything was purple haze that match so much so that maybe the the most incredible moment in the, in the entire match was 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 the old general Cameron Smith running all the way back down the field and stopping Nick Kotrick from scoring in a tackle that might have been the greatest tackle in this man's career and stopping him from scoring a try when they were way up on top in the game like, if Nick Kotrick scores there, the Raiders aren't going to have enough time to come back and win, let alone make it, I don't know, respectable, I guess you could say. But but for Cameron Smith to still show the heart to run down the field, make that tackle, prevent Nick Kotrick from scoring, I think showed you everything of what this team is playing with right now. I think that they feel that this is their time. And I think that that the only thing that stands between them and lifting that trophy is them not playing up to their potential, truthfully. It will be their fourth grand final appearance in five years. Think about that. No matter how crazy it's been this season, no matter, even COVID couldn't slow down the Melbourne Storm. They haven't been in their homes. They've been up in Queensland. And they haven't missed a beat. And they're back there again. Four out of five years. You know how many clubs want to go to one grand final? But four out of five years? It's it is, it's remarkable. And you have to still say, and, and like I said, I said a few weeks ago that I think that, this, this, that the, the, the Chucks, the Roosters, were the team of this decade because of their two grand final victories. Sheer excellence alone, week you know, week in, week out, it's tough to pick against the Melbourne Storm. And I don't know if that's going to change. I know that there's some some big changes on the horizon coming with with Bellyache maybe moving up to Brisbane and Cameron Smith possibly retiring. You know, no one can get an answer out of Cameron, but no matter what, no one's going to be able to take away what this team has done over the last. 20 years, 15 years, let alone just this decade. So hats off to the Storm and congratulations for booking your 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 trip to the grand final. The second game in the NRL preliminary finals was the Panthers versus the Rabbitohs. You had the hottest team of the competition 
all season, I should say, the hottest team in the competition, with the Panthers, against, I would say, the team playing the best football going into the match with the South Sydney Rabbitohs. The Wayne Bennett-led South Sydney Rabbitohs. A team that I think, (laughs) since Wayne Bennett got put in isolation for going to get a little bit of tea and crumpets, I guess. I don't know. He said he loves Italian food and he needed to get out. I have a feeling that wasn't Wayne's first time of, how should I say, breaking the bubble. But, hey, it is what it is. But I will tell you, the Rabbitohs played better football after Wayne got caught, and it might have, quote-unquote, spearheaded them into their charge into the second, I don't know, the last quarter of the season. But that being said, they still had to go in and beat the Panthers at Anzac Stadium. Now, the crazy thing was, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't hold this match uh, at Bank West just for the standpoint that I know how the Rabbitohs travel. And Anzac Stadium was more in their backyard than it was for Penrith. But they still held the match there. And I will tell you, I don't know if you're a big fan of roller coasters. I kind of was happy that I got to sit back and really didn't have a dog in the fight. I know, shitheads, you know, I said I picked the South Sydney, but still. But it was a really fun match in the standpoint. You really just didn't know what was going to happen. Because if one team did not play up to their, I guess, the level of what they could play at or what their standard was, the other team was going to run over the top of them. And I knew that for me, South Sydney had to start fast so that young Penrith team didn't feel like they could get over the top and that this was just their time. And that kick that Adam Reynolds did to Alex Johnson to start off the scoring, I'm saying he he had that thing on a line. What a kick. You know, over here in America... You know, you watch baseball players throw, you know, 98-mile-per-hour pitches and hit a spot, right? Or you see a quarterback like Tom Brady or, or Aaron Rodgers thread the needle, you know, on a on a 60-yard bomb and hit a guy in stride. But to watch a guy like Adam Reynolds, to be able to put a precision kick in like that to Adam, to, to, excuse me, to Alex Johnson was, it's just, I watched it over and over about four or five times, and it just blows me away, the precision uh, that some of these guys have with the control with their kicking game. But, that put them up six to nothing, and I really thought, or should I say four to nothing, and, and then Adam Reynolds hit the, 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 the point after kick, but I will say that that was a start that South Sydney needed. But, The Penrith Panthers have shown all season that they don't care if they get behind. They don't care if they get behind by double digits. They are a team that are in control of their own destiny. And they didn't panic. And they scored the next 14 points. And from precision kicks from Nathan Cleary as well, they just are a team that feels that that nothing can get in their way of what they want to do except them. 
that the only person that's going to take the bolts off their tires and, how should I say, prevent them from moving in the direction they want to move is, is, is themselves. And when they got up 14-6, to six, I was like, wow. I, I was really, really, I, I didn't think that it was going to be tied going in a half. But I really was impressed again. And I think that's the thing that's so impressive about Penrith is that every time you're expecting them to fold because they're a younger team or to, 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 to kind of feel the weight of the moment, they don't do that. They have this calm about them. They celebrate after every big play, no matter if it's a tackle or you know a try assist. They just are that tight and cohesive. And going into the sheds at fourteen to six, in the other in the other dressing room in the other shed, I, I knew that it was best for the bunnies because I knew Wayne Bennett was going to come in, calm them down, light fire back underneath them, get them cooking again, and get them flying out in the second half. And they really did. I, I. I know that Penrith, as we can jump ahead, I told you they won 20-16. to 16, But Penrith held on. Because when Dane Gagai scored in the 49th minute and made the game 14-12, to 12, it was an arm wrestling competition after that point. It was who's going to blink first and who's not going to perform up to their up to their greatness. And I hinted earlier that I think this match totally changes if Adam Reynolds' 40-20 kick is counted and his foot isn't on the line. Because the momentum was way behind. And when Adam Reynolds, when they showed the footage of Adam Reynolds running down the field when he thought that he'd kicked it, there was just a look and hunger in his eyes that there, there was nothing that was going to stop the bunnies from marching across to take the lead. And, you know, I guess that's, again, why they play the games because they didn't get it and the foot was on the line. And, and in a game that they say can be won in a matter of inches, that's what happened there because, you know, Dylan Edwards scored late and put them over the top. But it was a match that I really... I really enjoyed. It was hard hitting. It was very, very physical. You got to see excellence. The one of the good things about it is besides Appy Curacao's shoulder ailment and injury that he had, um, that was pretty much about it. Most of the guys, I guess Corey got hurt, the the fullback for for the South Sydney Rabbitos. I be, I think he probably got a cork in the thigh, but um besides that, both teams played healthy all the way through. And so it was just a matter of who was going to blink and who was going to come out on top. And once again, the Penrith Panthers made their their fans proud from the way that they play the game. And you can't say anything more that I personally feel, even though I did pick the Rabbitohs to come through this, yes, Shedheads, there's my one loss and don't, Come out on me about this because you already made, you know, three wins. So I, you know, I'm not going to pay for your mortgage and your Christmas gifts. But, but let's be honest: the two best teams 
Number one and two going in to the final series was the Panthers and the Storm, and that's what we've got in the grand final. So I guess you could say it's chalk. You know, the the seeds held par, and, and we've got the two best teams in a grand final that I think is going to be off the charts in excitement. But we're not there yet. We'll talk about that sooner. But let's give equal time to the code with the kicking, the AFL. And wait a second. Oh, yeah, I did. I went for two for two with these picks. Because starting it off was a tussle, a tussle at Adelaide Oval between the Power and the Tigers. And I told you last week, it was old school, old guard against the new school. And come on, let's be honest. It's not like the Tigers are the oldest team in the competition or anything. But when a team has played in as many big matches over the last four years, three to four years, that has a lot to say about how you perform in big games. And again, that was that showed out. Because the young guns, and there was a great shot before the match, I don't know if you guys picked this up, of... Port Adelaide's coach Ken Hinckley talking to his three young guns, uh, Xavier Dersma, Connor Rossi, and, and Butters. But he had them pulled aside. And I think he was calming them down because he knew what they were going to feel running out onto that, onto that oval for this match. And then you know, on the other side, you saw Kachi, Kachin leading out the Tigers and, and a real calm about the Richmond club. Um, as they came out onto the onto the oval as well, but you could feel just electricity in the air, and it was a matter of if Richmond's small forwards and there and 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 if they could get the ball out to the wings and if they could dominate in that regard, and 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 I have to tell you, it was no team had more than an eleven point lead in the entire game. And a team that could have really easily felt the moment, especially for their youth, their non-experience in, in preliminary finals. There was a really there was a real scene in that match when Xavier Dersma stood up to take a kick and he slaughtered it. He hit his goal and he did his his bow and arrow and he went charging towards Tom Lynch and got in Tom Lynch's face. And Xavier Dersma's, I think, six foot, six one. And Tom Lynch is, I think, six five or six six. And he got right in Tom Lynch's face. Just barking at him. Because we know no matter how nice Tom Lynch is off the field, Tom Lynch, like I said a few weeks ago, is a little snarky. He plays with an edge. He likes to needle. He likes to get under your skin. And I think he had been barking at Xavier Dersma and just letting him know where he was at. And seeing Dersma say that and get in his face, and then all of a sudden, here come all the rest of the Power Boys. SPP, Sam Powell, Pepper, Butters was there. Um, They just, Hamish Hollywood was there. They all came in 
and 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 got their chunk out of Tom Lynch as well. So much so that when Lynch finally got away from this pack of wild dogs, he kind of gave a look like, what the heck just happened there? And that was the emotion of that game. That was the feel of it the entire time. It's in the rain. The fans wanted to really, really get into it. And I think that was, again, one of the, the strengths that, that, that Richmond did. They never really let the fan base of Port Adelaide really get behind the power. And if you've ever watched, and I've, I've actually been to Adelaide Oval, it is a pretty magical place, you know, from the old scoreboard to the way the stadium is built and set up, from the walks you take to get into the stadium for the match. There's a real feel and ambiance about it. But one way to always beat a team is to not let their fan base get behind it. I know everyone's saying 2020, what are you talking about fans for? But there was there was quite a few fans there at Adelaide Oval, just like there was quite a few fans at the GABA for the other match. But Richmond played it very, very smart in the way they'd never let the Port Adelaide fans really get full throat in the match. And the best way you do it is, is again, one of the best guns in the last 10 years, Dustin Martin got the first goal of the game and just continued to control the kicking and never really let Port control the bigs the way that I think Port was hoping to. And, you know, that was that was kind of everything. Um, I really, really enjoyed this match. I just, I really enjoyed the fact that Watching if Richmond could hold off that youth and just raw emotion of a young Port Adelaide club, a club that I think didn't know much about losing and just beat Richmond, I think, six weeks ago, five to six weeks ago at Adelaide Oval. So I said something earlier. I said, you're not going to beat this Richmond team twice in a season, let alone within six weeks. You're just not going to get over the top of a demo coach team right now. Damian Hardwick knew what to do. Richmond was healthy. And I think that at those big key moments late, Richmond didn't fold. And they stayed strong. Because they'd been there, like I said, three of the last, you know, two of the, two of the three last, you know, excuse me. Let's just say recently, okay? But they have been there. And it showed with their medal how they held up. And I really, I enjoyed this match. This probably was the match I enjoyed most of all the four preliminary finals from this weekend because I just, I think every, every, every man, every football fan, every athlete loves to watch games in, in, in just mucky conditions where you just, you know, the players are soaked and they just don't even really realize it because they're just so into the match. So the Tigers end up winning a really tight one, 46-40 over Port Adelaide. And book, once again, a grand final ticket. And I'm going to tell you something. If Collingwood does not play their best match of the year in 2018, the Tigers could be going for their fourth premiership. Something that if you would have said six years ago, when Hawthorne was on top and dominating, winning their their three-peat, I don't think anyone saw a team coming up that was going to be able to almost match 
that dominance of Hawthorne over the last few years. So congratulations to the Richmond Tigers. The roar continues. Yellow and black are into the grand final. And the final match of the preliminary round was the Geelong Cats trying to get over their hoodoo of losing in preliminary finals, having to do it at the GABA in front of the Lions' home crowd against a Brisbane team that had been number one or number two all season who had the Brownlow medalist. At that time, we didn't know it, and Lockie Neal playing for them. And there it is again. There's another match of the young guard against the old veterans. And it was a match. It really was. Brisbane did not want to give away the emotion, did not want to give away the momentum. For the first two and a half quarters, this game was in the balance. But in the third quarter, a guy that a lot of people, I don't want to say have written off, but it's his last, it's his swan song. Gary Ablett Jr. is going to retire at the end of this season. The question was, was Gary Ablett Jr. going to retire losing a preliminary final or was he going to be able to go out with the lights on him of a grand final? And I don't know about you, but I know for me, seeing the greats step up in key times is, is something to behold and to watch. And it's something when I say to take those timestamps and those those moments to really suck them in and remember them. Watching Ablett in that third quarter kick two goals and really just come alive. Like he sensed that Geelong needed that, that just oomph, that kick, that little bit of adrenaline, that little bit of monster energy in your veins. Rockstar, whatever you want to say. I don't, I, you know, pick your, your cup of choice. But Gary Ablett provided that. And the little general came out there and was everywhere, just buzzing around the field. And Geelong picked their game up, feeling that, seeing that. Hawkins was playing a great match as well. Rowan was playing well. But Geelong lifted. And that's what that match was going to take. Because the Lions were right there. And they're playing at home. And a team that's playing at home that, like Port Adelaide, hadn't lost much this season, just needed a little bit to get their crowd behind them. And then the emotion just takes over, and you run over the top of a team. But just like Richmond, Geelong did not allow this to happen. And Gary Ablett Jr. remembered what it took to win those big matches. And he imposed his will. And Richmond, and excuse me, and Geelong got on his back. And they wrote him out. They wrote him out. And danger was danger. You know, even though Patrick Dangerfield didn't kick any goals, there was just a steeliness about, about Dangerfield right now. There's just something about this guy that there will not be any excitement from these guys, from this Geelong team, until they lift the trophy. 
Now, their hands are going to be full. But Geelong, because by, when, by, by, the, by the time the dust cleared and settled, Geelong blew them out. That fourth quarter was just too much. And Brisbane started to miss kicks that they needed to to make it a close match. They, they kicked behinds or just totally missed the mark. And unfortunately, that had been their downfall before in big matches. Hitting the behind, kicking the behind instead of kicking the goal. And that's what it comes down to. Which team is going to put it between the right posts or right down the middle of the post? And who's going to go off a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right? And Geelong sealed the deal. And they came over the top, beating the Lions 82-42 to at the GABA. Now, that's really sad because if you think about it, we're probably not going to have another grand final in the AFL away from the MCG. And for all of you who are still getting on the outside the sheds train, that is the Melbourne Cricket Ground. But we're not going to have it because the MCG is it. That is where young footballers grow up dreaming on playing a grand final at. That's just how it is. Now, as we know, history is always meant to be shaken up and changed at times. Hello again, COVID. But we don't know. I, I don't by every means see for the next few years the grand final going anywhere else besides Melbourne uh, and the MCG. But what a spectacle that would have been if the Lions could have found a way to play a grand final in their own building in their own stadium for the one and probably, quite possibly only time their grand final might be held at the GABA. But, again, you can't take away for anything that the Cats have done. And again, that's that leads us with an epic, epic grand final match on Saturday night at the GABA the battle of the felines, as some ingenious people have told me recently. The tigers versus the cats. The yellow and black against the blue hoops. And that's going to be one, ladies and gentlemen, shedheads, I'm going to say, is going to be one definitely you're going to have to take in. So that was my breakdown in our 4020 of the preliminary finals. But Everyone knows after preliminary finals is when we start doing a little bit of of, of black, a back slapping and congratulations. And I don't want to say baby kissing because there's no babies in this. But that's when we start hang, handing out the big awards. And Lockie Neal locked down the Brownlow, which a lot of people have been saying about half, since about halfway through the season that it was Lockie Neal's trophy to lose. And Lockie had an incredible season. It always, it always makes me kind of shake my head a little bit when you see guys accepting awards and their seasons are over and the competition is still going on. And I know that the Brownlow is for the entire season, but I'm just one of those guys. You know, I'm kind of like thinking like LeBron when, when Giannis won the MVP of the league and he got the trophy and LeBron's still in the finals. 
And as you saw how that played out, was the finals MVP. But that takes nothing away from the great season that that Lockie Neal had. And because of that season that he had, Brisbane's had the best season they've had probably since they finished their treble in the early 2000s. So congratulations to Lockie Neal on an incredible season. Um, He's won even more awards within his club since then. So I really think that the the Lions are a team that's going to be here for a while. And even though they didn't make it to the grand final this year, they're going to be, I think, to me, a top four club for the foreseeable future. And I think this pain and this loss from this from this grand from this preliminary final will springboard them to to bigger and better things. But again, that's why you have to take advantage of those moments when you get them because you just never know. You just never know if you're ever going to be there again. But for the team they have around them, for the players they have, the coaching that they have, and the belief they have, I don't think this will be the last time we see um, Brisbane in a preliminary final. And then we come down to the Daily M. And this is the one where, kind of like the Brownlow, where the pundits and, and the reporters and everybody who likes to hear themselves talk or, or, or likes to read their, their thoughts on paper or on computer screen, however you like to take in your news, they pretty much had already written that Nathan Cleary was going to win the Daily M. Now, I had a real problem with it, and I've kind of given my digs the last few weeks where, to me, Nathan Cleary's disregard at the beginning of the season of the bubble and quarantining and doing a TikTok video with some fair maidens in his house, to me, the the, the points that were taken away from him allegedly that they the NRL ended up giving back, which I was in total disagreement with. But a lot of people thought that Nathan Cleary, because of him being able to get those points back, that he was going to ride over the top and become your 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 daily M winner for the NRL. But there was sitting next to him Jack Whiten, James Tedesco, King Gutho. And there was something, there was a feeling in the air. I've always, I've always said this about gambling. Whenever something looks like it's too good to be true and then it's 100% a win, bet the other way. And I don't know why. I just, I just felt that, that, that something was going to get shaken up. And lo and behold, it did. Because Jack Whiten won the Daily M. And if you think about Jack Whiten over the last, let's just say the last few years, the guy was almost sacked by Canberra because of an off-field incident where he might have had a few too many libations and got the uh, testosterone flowing and got caught with a little off-field, how should I say, punch-up? indiscretion but look where Jack Whiten is now because Sticky didn't give up on him Ricky Stewart didn't get rid of him Ricky Stewart didn't sack him he 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 followed the trail that he had to follow he, he paid his dues did his penance 
And then the guy goes last year, and even though it might have not supposed to have taken place, they might have read the wrong name, beat Jared Warrior Hargraves and won the MVP for last year's grand final in a losing cause for the Canberra Raiders in their loss to the Sydney Roosters. But turn that around again, where this guy, where no one, I, I got to tell you, I didn't, I didn't know if Nathan was going to win it, but I didn't think Jack, Jack Whiten was going to win the Daily M. But Jack Whiten wins the Daily M trophy. And when Jack won the trophy, he stood up there and he thanked a lot of people. And he said that that off-field indiscretion that happened to him was maybe one of the best things that happened to him because it helped him refocus when his club didn't give up on him to being a, a good leader. And I have to tell you, and a lot of people, and we've talked again in detail about this, that a lot of people have put a fork in the Canberra Raiders when Josh Hodson went down with his ACL tear. And Sticky and that playing group never gave up. And Ricky Stewart even dropped a few, how should I say, expletives in his thought of people saying that their season was over because that was the last thing that he was thinking and, and you know, Ricky seems to have known something we didn't know. But Jack Whiten was one of the main, main spearheads in the way that he played and the way that he lifted his game after Josh Hodson went down and they went on their trek. And to me, that's what a Daily M player is. I'm saying, you know, if you think about it, I, I'm not saying that that the Panthers would not have made it to the grand final without Nathan Cleary playing. But I'm going to say something. You have Jerome Luai right there. And I still think that Jerome Luai is just as important as Nathan Cleary in what he brings to that squad and that club. And he might be more of a dynamic player than Nathan in what he can do with just freakish plays and moves. And he's got pipes of an angel, by the way. We've talked about this as well as also. But Jack Whiten, to me, if, if he would have gone down, Canberra's season for sure would have been over. But to me, I think when I looked at the players that were there, my pick would have for sure been Clint Gutherson. I think King Gutho really was everything for for Parramatta this season. And every time his team needed a big play, it seemed that Gutho was behind it. And the, the freakish thing about Gutho, you look at him and, and he could be a bartender at your local pub or club. Besides, you know, the perfect locks, slick back, Gutho does not look like he's an intimidating force out on, a, out on a football field. But Clint Gutherson is the heart and soul of the Parramatta Eels. And that they didn't take into the points 
of his last game against the West Tigers, where, again, he helped them get over the top, and that victory helped them lock down a top four place in the finals. You know, I don't know what more that guy can do. And he's even sometimes not given the respect. I think that he's even deserved in his own club because there's there's rumblings coming out of Parmetta that the Eels are going to go after Bevin French and bring him back from the Super League and put him back at fullback. And that blows my mind. How the hell could the Eels, could, could the Blue and Gold Army think about moving Gutho to the centers and not leaving him back at fullback? And if I'm hoping that's just a bad rumor because I I have no idea what you're doing, Parramatta, if you do that. But that is just my feeling on on the on the on the Daily M. But you can't take it away from Jack White. And 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 you know, I know there's been a, a bunch of talk about possibly, oh, you know, maybe we should change the way that we vote, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, usually the Daily M voting it gets it right. And yeah, every every awards has every awards has moments where the club, the movie doesn't win the award they should. Hashtag Shakespeare in love. If you don't know what that means, look it up. But anyway, congratulations to Jack Whiten. Congratulations to Lockie Neal. And let's get on to what we're all here about. Because Shedheads, you've had your salad now. You've had your your green beans. Let's talk about the grand finals that we've got coming up this weekend. And that starts off on Saturday night at the GABA. Or for us over here, stateside, 3.30 a.m. Let me say that again. 3.30 a.m. On Fox Sports 1, if you're looking for it. The Battle of the Felines, the Yellow and Black against the Blue Hoops, Tigers versus the Cats. And I think, to me, this comes down to two main players for each side. I think it comes down to a battle between Dustin Martin and Patrick Dangerfield. I think whoever of those two players has the best game or gets neutralized by the other side the most wins the grand final. If Dusty dominates, Tigers win. If Dangerfield dominates, I think the Cats come over the top. So I guess that comes down to a thing if you're a betting individual, who are you going to bet on? Dusty or Dangerfield? And I don't know. But I will tell you this, Patrick Dangerfield has never lifted the prize. Dustin Martin has. Dustin Martin has maybe the best captain in the AFL over the last five to six seasons in Trent Cotchin. Cotchin's going to play his 251st game in a grand final. But then you look on the other side. Danger doesn't do it alone. Selwood. Ablett Jr. Hawkins. 
So it's a really tough one to pick. Because I think this match is a match of chess, but who is going to be the alpha coming out of this? Who is going to look the other one in the eye and say, you don't deserve to be standing here looking me in the eye and you need to take a knee in front of me? And to me, that comes back to the Tigers have not taken a knee to anybody and besides a bad match on their part against Collingwood two years ago. And as the great Ric Flair says, woo, to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And to me, I don't know if anybody beats the man on Saturday night. I've got the yellow and black coming out on top. I've got the Tigers winning a close one. So I let me put this... If you're one that gets a little bit worked up, a little bit stomach, a little, little acid built up down there, and you've got a dog in this fight, I would say start taking your Maalox, your Tums, whatever you take early in the day to get everything balanced out. Because the stomach, last, stomach acid levels will be high in this one because I think it is going to be a tight, tight match. But I do have the Tigers winning that because of where they've been the last four years. And I think they know with a victory on Saturday night where this puts them in the echelon of not just Tiger teams, but a, but AFL clubs in the history of the game. So I have the Tigers winning Saturday night <laughs> or 3.30 a.m. at the GABA on Saturday night. And that leads us to our last match of the season at Anzac Stadium Sunday night the Penrith Panthers Melbourne Storm unlike the match that we've got in the AFL Grand Final between the Tigers and the, and the Cats this one is young confidence against veteran maturity and game planning and what you know you can't you can't talk about it without talking about the two differences in the coaches looking at bellyache against cleary ivan cleary doesn't talk too much not that bellyache really does but you never see him up in the box smacking on the glass missing his 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 pocket or his arm pocket for his coat, not being able to put his coat on because he's all fired up. Two totally different coaches in the way they coach, in philosophies. But two coaches that have their teams playing at not at a level of 9.5 out of 10. You've got possibly Cameron Smith's last game in the NRL. against a club with Nathan Cleary who don't think Nathan Cleary is not going to be playing in fifth gear because this is a guy now that has to prove that you got it wrong, that he should have been the Daily M. So you've got a lot of things. You've got the battle in the halves, and that's where I think this is going to be won. I think the bigs are going to get theirs. I think you know, You've got a big forward pack in Penrith. 
you've got a pretty pretty darn big forward pack in Melbourne. But if you look at the halves, you've got Jerome Hughes. And you've got Cameron Smith playing in that area. And then you've got on the other side, Cleary and Luai. And Appy Curacao. Cameron Munster with the storm. Cameron Munster hasn't shaved that mustache off for a reason, folks. And I'm going to tell you something. There's something about a powerful mustache. I won't go into detail, but that caterpillar bounced on your upper lip to be able to play for a full 80 minutes with that thing and not wanting to take sandpaper to get that thing out of your way and out of your vision tells you the type of player you are. So there's where we have. We have a battle. I think the spine is where this is won. Appy Curacao's cunning and his and his little moxie out of how he plays. And Cameron Smith, the old general. Some people still say at 37 years of age, still the best player in the game. Who might be playing his last match. Tell me that, you know, just like Clary has something to prove about him not wearing the Daily M. You don't think Cameron Smith wants to go out on top? I think this match is going to be just a match of haymakers. I think this match is going to be, I think, a Melbourne Storm team that starts off fast. And to me, the question is going to be if that Penrith squad remembers that this is the same Penrith squad that's been this way for this big winning streak that they're on, and they answer that bell and shows Melbourne that they're here for a full 80 minutes, or if the Storm smacks him back down and says, it's not your time. I think that's what it will come down to. I think it will be a matter if if Penrith remembers again that they've been the form team of the competition, not that the Storm haven't been close to him the entire time. And that's how you have to pick. Do you, fit, do you think that Penrith has what it takes to knock out the old experienced heavyweight that's got all the accolades, that's proven it week in and week out for just not this season, but for many. I've gone back and forth on this match quite a bit. But I will tell you, when it comes down to it, I can't pick against the best player that definitely has played in my entire time of watching rugby league in Cameron Smith. And I think with Cameron Munster and with Jerome Hughes, especially this last match that Hughes played, I just think that I just think that the Storm are going to bring it home. I can't give you a number. I can't give you what a score is going to be. But I just find it hard to believe with Cameron Smith's possible last match that he's not going to go out on top. And that those guys inside that shed from bellyache on down are not going to do everything in their power to make sure that guy doesn't go out a champion. 
I, I, I just I can't see it happening any other way. I just cannot see the Storm losing this match. Now, will Penrith push them the entire way? Yes, and that's why I think this is going to be one of the greatest grand final weekends for both codes we've had for quite a long time. But I think the Storm are going to win this match. I think somehow Belly Ache will find a way to get his pieces in place to put this thing over the top for the Melbourne Storm. So there are my picks. I've got the Tigers coming out on Saturday night. I've got the Storm coming out on Sunday night. Shedheads, I want 10% of your winnings. I'm joking. You do what you have to do. Just Here's what you do for me. Leave some comments on my page. I've started something that I'm not the biggest social media guy. We've got an Instagram page. We've got a Twitter page. Just give me some shout outs. Tell me how much you might have won on my picks. Show me the new car. You might have, I don't know if you bought a new car. But hey, just like I said, this is us together in this. And I want to see what you've done with this. And it always makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Make your Shedadama smile. All right. To your favorite part of the day, for your favorite part of the week, to see if you could pick it yourself, your guns of the week. And I start with my number one gun with Dustin Martin again. And Dusty's numbers weren't over the top, but Dustin Martin scoring that first goal to, to get the Tigers up on top really kind of set kind of set the wheels in motion for a Tigers victory. But Dustin Martin had two goals, 21 disposals, 12 kicks, nine handballs, three marks, three clearances, and 234 meters gained in his match. But I think it's just Dusty being Dusty that makes Martin so brilliant. He just he just stalks around the field. He accelerates at the right times. His balance is incredible. You can't knock him off a mark. His handballs, he knows where his players are. You know, like I said, that to me is why I've picked the Tigers to, to win the grand final because I just don't see anybody moving dusty. And I just think Dusty knows also his place in history, even though getting to do Dustin Martin to do an interview is like getting certain people to admit that uh, COVID isn't a hoax, but that's something else. But Dustin Martin was my number one gun of the week. Number two, this guy did not have the most flashy numbers, but Jerome Hughes for the Melbourne Storm is my number two gun of the week. And that is because of the way Jerome Hughes played his best match and his most key moments how he played. Jerome Hughes had 288 kicking meters, one forced line dropout, two try assists, two tackle breaks, one offload, 10 tackles, and 67 total running meters. That's a pretty well-rounded match. But the thing is, when Jerome Hughes did it in the match was when it was most key. And that is exactly what the Storm have been looking for with this guy. I'm saying 
They've done everything. Don't forget, Jerome Hughes started as a fullback. And everyone thought he was going to be Billy Slater's replacement until Pappenhausen came in and just totally dominated and owned the position. And then they moved him to halves in the halves. And everyone tried to say that he wasn't going to be that guy. But it is his position now. And he's really set himself up for a pretty big payday coming next season. But Jerome Hughes really played an incredible match. And and I'm going to tell you something. What better time for him to be kicking in to fifth gear than with one match to go and giving Cameron Munster another week to fully heal up to go into this grand final against Penrith, right? Like I said, the battle is going to be, to me, in the spine. So Jerome Hughes is my number two gun. And then my number three gun, Gary Ablett Jr., the little general who had that head shined, buffed out. There was a gleam off of of Gary Ablett Jr.'s head, freshly shaved as he took the field at the GABA. But Gary Ablett, two goals, two behinds, 14 disposals, eight kicks, six handballs, four marks, four tackles, 285 meters gained. Gary Ablett Jr., like I said, injected himself into that third quarter. Even though he had a good game all the way around, that third quarter was the little general back at his finest. The little general showing what that name means. And him living up to, I think, what he feels inside of that excellence that he has about his history and his legacy and being back home at Geelong. And I'm telling you, I'm really hoping Gary Ablett Jr. has an incredible grand final match. That win or lose that he plays where he can walk off the field for his last game with a smile on his face saying, you know, I left it all out here. And I'm, I'm so proud of myself that I knew I just had to get up for one last match. And I remember who I am. And there was no way on God's green earth that I wasn't going to play the way that I know that I can play. And if that preliminary final against Brisbane was any indication of what we're looking for in the future, Gary Ablett Jr. is going to have a good to possibly great grand final. And I'm hoping he does because he doesn't deserve anything less than to go out the way that a lot of people see him and the way that I think he should always see himself. So Gary Ablett Jr. is my number three gun going into finals weekend. Well, that was all of our rundown from our two favorite codes. But, you know, I like to go outside the bubble so the rest of the sporting world can see that we're thinking about them as well. And I start off outside the bubble going down to the fighting fins of your Miami Dolphins in the NFL with a story coming out that the divine bearded one, Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though he's led the Dolphins to two straight victories and one game out of being in first place behind the Buffalo Bills in the NFL, is getting benched for the future. Tua Tagovailoa is now your starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. 
And I don't, I don't get this. I'm a big Tua fan. I think Tua is the the future for the Miami Dolphins. But how can you bench a guy that's got the Dolphins on a winning streak? And 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 let me let me let's ask ourselves a question here. When was the last time we used the word Dolphins and winning streak in the same sentence? But they just got done last weekend going out to the 49ers and beating the Niners down pretty well, pretty darn well, and then beating the Jets last week. So let me, if I confused you, they beat the Niners two weeks ago and then smacked their old coach at the Jets, at the Jets, and again, showed why he didn't need to be the coach of the Dolphins anymore. But I don't know how you bench him. I don't know how you bench Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick is a, a quarterback that plays when he's playing with confidence, Fitz Magic, as they try to call him, can do some pretty incredible things. But this is a this to me doesn't make sense because you could always bench Fitzpatrick his next bad game or a bad game after a loss. But benching him in a bye week and then putting Tua out on the field against the Rams in his first game and one of the biggest quarterback killers in the league on the other side of the field in, in Aaron Darnold. I I don't know how this is a win-win situation for the Dolphins. Because I myself want an experienced quarterback when he's when he's facing Aaron Donald on the other side of the field. Because he's gonna have to get the ball off quick, he's gonna have to make quick reads. And he's got to do some checkdowns. And, you know, I guess if you want to see your quarterback under fire that first game to see what he's made of, there's not a better team to see that with. But to me, that shows the Dolphins players that we're not playing for this season. We're playing for the future. And for a team that hasn't had a lot to go on recently and a lot of hope recently, that to me doesn't show the right message inside that locker room, inside that shed. And now you can't go back. Because if Tua has a bad game, you can't say, well, we're going back to Fitzpatrick because you're going to crush the kid now. And that's why I say you don't bench a, a quarterback that's got a two-game win streak and is playing in damn good football for a guy that's not proven yet. No matter if he is your future. Because why why do we want to rush Tua in there? So again, to me, this is why the Dolphins have been the Dolphins the last 10 to 15 years. They make unique choices and decisions when a lot of times they don't have to. But that's why teams like the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Saints have stayed up on top and why we've seen the teams like the Cowboys and the, and the Dolphins, even though the Cowboys haven't played nowhere close to as bad as the Dolphins, but making unique decisions that keep them from taking their seasons to the promised land. So that's my, my number one story and outside the bubble is the benching of Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and to the, 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 the era of Tua Valoa, Tua, in Miami. My number two outside the bubble is Dodgers, Rays, in Arlington. 
We've got ourselves a series for the World Series. We've got a 1-1 head-to-head matchup going on right now where a lot of people after that first game and the Dodgers really taking the Rays to the woodshed with with hot bats and, and Clayton Kershaw's mop flopping all around as he's throwing his herky, herky-jerky pitches across the plate. A lot of people had already given the trophy to the Dodgers. But a lot of people forget the Rays played the toughest regular season of any team. And they and they stood up every time with their winning percentage. And they handed it to the Yankees, a team that has a bottomless payroll. And they and they owned them. They beat them. Handled them. So for anybody to, to 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 start throwing dirt on the Rays after one bad game, I think you again haven't been paying attention to the the entire baseball season because the Rays aren't going anywhere, and I think this series is going to go down to seven games. I do think in the end the Dodgers will win in seven, but I think we're going we're in for a long haul, and the Dodgers better be careful that. If, if May does not get his pitches under control and that middle relief does not wake up, they're in trouble against the Rays. They're in trouble against the Rays. Now, one of the good things for the Dodgers is they can hit themselves out of a lot of trouble and a lot of problems. But the Rays aren't scared of, of the L.A. Dodgers. And I think the L.A. Dodgers how they've unfortunately had to go up against teams that cheated the last couple of World Series. You don't need a little bit of whispering to be going on in the Dodgers' heads. And I think the Rays are that type of team that can get little voices to start whispering inside their heads. But I think we're going to have a fun series. I think we're going to have a competitive series. And and now we've got a best of five right now. Who wins three games? And again, I, I think the Dodgers come out on this on top. I think they just have a little bit too much. But that's why we play the games, folks. That's why we play the games. And then my last outside-the-bubble topic that we're talking about is a championship fight we've got this weekend between Habib and Justin Gaethje. And what a fight this is going to be. Because we just don't know what we're going to see. You know, this is the first fight that Khabib's going to have without his father being in his corner and, and being in his camp. And if you've heard anything before, any interview with Khabib, Khabib's best friend, his mentor, the person that's got him to where he is, is his father. And whenever you hear an athlete that has that type of relationship with their father, parent, especially if they're their coach, we have no idea what their first fight or first match without that person being there is going to be like. And that is one of the intriguing parts about this fight that we've got coming up between these two fighters. And I don't think Khabib has fought a guy like Justin Gaethje who can do so much. He hasn't fought a guy, even Conor McGregor, even though Conor talks a mean game, has nowhere close to the wrestling wrestling skills as Justin Gaethje. And Justin has hands 
way better than Khabib. And I think if if Gaith, if Justin Gaethje can keep the fight in the middle of the octagon and not get taken into the corners where Khabib's going to try to drag him to hold him down, I think we've got a fight. And I think we've got a fight that's a pick I, I I don't, I just, it's just that factor where we just don't know what Habib we're going to see. And to me, that causes theater. And to me, that's what sports is about. Whenever you can have great theater, it makes us why we watch the games or the matches or the fights. So make sure you tune in. It's a, Don't forget, it's an early start. So if you're stateside in America... You may only get a few hours of sleep between the grand final on Saturday night and the fight because it's a it's a a, a two o'clock Eastern time fight. So, you know, like I said, you're not going to get a lot of sleep, but it's going to be worth it. Um, I would say get your favorite energy drink, get that pot boiling on your on your coffee maker started because it could be a long Saturday. It could be a very very long Saturday. But Shedheads, I hope you guys enjoy this weekend. I cannot, I cannot state enough how great these matches are going to be. And I hope you really enjoy them. I hope that you guys do a little bit of research besides the research you got from your Shed Adamas about some of these matchups we've got coming up and what makes them so intriguing. But really embrace them, really take them in. Because I think these are going to be some matches that we're going to be talking about for a very, very long time. But like I always tell you guys, you make this shed ours. You make it fun. And this is why we do it and we do it together. That's why we come together once a week for Outside the Sheds. But until next time, stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. Try to make a difference in somebody's life. And hell, go out of your way and give a hug. But until next time, Shedheads, this is Corey Jackson, and you've been listening to Outside the Sheds. See ya! And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson, talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about. 